Howdy, folks. Before we start this session of Bebop Tabletop, we just want to say thanks to all our listeners, Twitter followers, and everyone who supported us along the journey. If you like what you've been hearing, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on your listening app of choice. It would help us out more than a sack full of oolongs. Now, hit it. Three, two, one. This is Bebop Tabletop, the podcast that's turning each episode of Cowboy Bebop into a tabletop RPG. I'm Michael Janoff. I'm Lee Joe John. I'm Andrew Wu. And together, we're remixing the characters, music, and themes into a game you can play. Let's jam. Hello, and welcome to Bebop Tabletop, session three. This time we're talking about Honky Tonk Women. It's women, not woman. I have made that mistake many, many times while doing research for this episode. I'm Andrew Wu, and I'm joined again by Michael and Lee Jo. How are you guys doing? Hello. Hey. It's been a long time since we talked last, almost uh, 24 hours at this point. Almost. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, you're ruining the illusion. The, the, magic, <laughs> of, uh, the magic of podcasts, yeah. Uh, no, no, we were just recording these back-to-back because scheduling is hard as adults. Actually, that's a very common tabletop problem, isn't it? Trying to get anywhere from three to six adults in the same room for a few hours? It's, uh, it's Impossible. tough. Impossible. Everybody's got you know jobs and now children. So uh, <laughs> this week, we're introduced to Faye Valentine, right? Uh, I think we're all very excited to see this crew starting to grow together. Getting a feel for... I, I, th- I think one of the impressions I wanted to talk about with this episode was how... It's kind of the first time it starts to feel like the show I remember, right? Like where it feels like this episode fits in what I remember about the show growing up. Right? The first two were more introductory, and this one is like, oh yeah, this is the crew again. Yeah, Faye's not even uh, in 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 the crew by the end of the episode. Right. Yeah. Just yeah. In- inherently, the chaos. Faye brings is just an additional element to the show. And yeah, without it, you know, honestly, without I'm without the crew, it the show is just a kind of a basic bounty hunt, you know, and that mm-hmm. is not what Cowboy Bebop is about, even if that is kind of the, uh, you know, what dra- gets people dragged into the show in the first place. Yeah. yeah. And maybe your Cowboy Bebop party of four to five will also feel like a cohesive crew someday. Right? right? <laughs> I, it, it, it's going to be, it's not just going to be bounties on a week by week basis. It's going to be like a family finding each other and growing together. <laughs> All right, you guys ready for the summary? Yeah, go for it. All right. So, our bounty boys hit the casino, hoping to make it big. While Jet spins the reels, Spike meets his match at the blackjack table in dealer Faye Valentine. A mistaken identity, a botched handoff, and a top-secret key hidden in a poker chip lead the team to a deadly deep space standoff. Faye escapes with the cash, and the boys live to gamble another day. You guys, how do you... How do, what, what are your impressions of this episode? What, what is something that really feels the most... What stands out to you here as the, the most mechanicalizable thing that we can put into a game yeah i i thought i thought the theme of the week here was was flight and that that comes to play in a couple different elements um, in the past few episodes including this one there's been a lot of emphasis uh it, it, well it, bits and pieces of the small flight craft that uh, jet and spike and now Faye operate 
uh, as individual pilots. And they do some pretty impressive feats of maneuverability and Dog, we haven't really seen dogfighting yet, but there mm-hmm. is, you know, air-to-ground combat. Essentially, there's uh, some level of uh, ship-to-ship combat mm-hmm. in the sense that at the end of the episode there was a, a larger casino ship. combat. Yeah, <laughs> casino <laughs> combat. Um, we see a couple of different types of ships in this uh, mm-hmm. in this episode, um, but the other element of flight that's important is that there is uh, EVA flights. There are mm-hmm. uh, spacewalks, and there is a, a pretty terrifying sequence where Spike <laughs> is dressed up in his in his jet suit and his jump pack, and he leaves from the, uh, the Cabo Bebop. Bebop their ship uh, up to uh, Gordon Rich guy's ship, <laughs> and uh, completely untethered. He just jumps and he just goes to the other side, does a few flips, no big deal. Um, that's horrifying, but it worked out all right. So here we are, <laughs> um, and then later there's. Uh, effectively zero g aerial combat mm-hmm. there's a there's a bad guy shooting at spike and he's dodging out of the way and managing to use his jet pack to get where he needs to go mm-hmm. yep. there are uh, uh, meanwhile faye valentine is flying her ship and grabbing things off from the ground so there's mm-hmm. there there's piloting there's um there there there's free fall um, this zero g maneuverability is this just free fall um there's um, shooting at these moving targets there's mm-hmm. uh piloting there's dodging we also saw all sorts of weaponry and armament there were missiles mm-hmm. flying out of ships there were uh there were gatling guns there was chaff there was um, there missiles was a lot. being yeah. redirected there's a lot there was a lot of flight stuff happening yeah, yeah. and i mean just just to, you know the the little elephant in the room, I guess, is just how apparently not fragile anything is in uh, Cowboy Bebop. Uh, you know, Faye can shoot uh, the windows out of a casino and no one worries <laughs> about anything. Like, clearly there must be another source of air in that dome. You know, everything is always, like, on the verge of exploding. So, like, yet they just keep firing. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those things that's always, like, as an adult, I'm like, hmm, I feel like a lot more things should be exploding in this show. But uh, the, the property damage problem again, right? Like how, <laughs> how, what, what, is the, what is the running tally at this point of how much money... You know, I guess the casino's insurance has to pay out for this, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, one one of the things I'll I, like, I kind of get the impression, and like this is uh, kind of a cheat that other series have done. So in in Star Wars, for example, right? Famously, uh, the X-wing fights, the Death Star trench run from the first Star Wars was modeled after like World War II f- movie footage, right? It was modeled after uh, dogfighting in air. And they just said, well, let's make space look like that, and that's how space works, right? Sure. I I would say, like, here, for the most part, that's still true, but there's a a bit more reality to the zero-G aspect, right? There's more a sense of... uh, So so what it might be is just that that's just the way it's filmed, but then it's always presented as if, yeah, you can do these things in space. You know, um, you mentioned the, the EVA sequence, right, where Spike... Uh, a couple of things, right? Like I wrote down that his spacesuit has magnetic boots, right? He has to turn them on. He has some button, I think, on his chest. Yep. Right. And yeah. uh, when he steps out, then his boots clamp down to the ship, and then when he pre- turns them off, he can jump off, right? 
And then I think later on, actually, the, the worst part to me, like the most creepy feeling, the thing, the feeling that I don't like about space <laughs> is uh, when he's fighting the other henchman, right? The other henchman who pulls out a gun, right, in space, <laughs> which just doesn't seem like it should work. He, he like toggles his boots off and then kicks him off into space and like, oh, that's awful. That is a, you're dying when your oxygen runs out, right? <laughs> it's like, that yeah. sucks. <laughs> that is not you'd, the way to go. You'd think that you'd get the version that has the uh, safety uh, safety mm-hmm. cover on the switch that causes you to right. spiral into space and die. <laughs> Something in your suit that says, are you sure? Are you really, really sure? <laughs> or at the very least, just a panel so you can't accidentally brush it on something and fly <laughs> off into space, you know? But what, what do they call those switches, right? So... It's a, a switch with a cover, right? I think it's just a switch cover. Yeah, it's probably yeah. what it's called. Right? Yeah. Right? You should you should have one of those. It shouldn't just be like, oh, tap this accidentally to die. It's next to the, probably like the communicator button. Where it's like, oh, <laughs> right. shoot. <laughs> I, hit, I hit the wrong button again. <laughs> well, I hope somebody will come get me this time. One thing I think is funny, though, too, you, you know, you mentioned the, the, the guns. There the, the really have only been, the weapons that they've shown have been pretty conventional. We haven't mm-hmm. seen a lot of, traditionally science fiction space, space yeah. weapons there's no rail guns there's no um mm-hmm. which is to say um we, we have established in universe that it is okay to use a combustion powered slug thrower in space and it's not a problem <laughs> so we don't have to get nitty-gritty about will this gun work in space in our right. in our real set <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We mentioned uh, we a- after the episode, right? We talked about the uh, we forgot that last week we didn't mention the gun shop or the weapons shop, right, mm-hmm. on Mars, and how yeah the the wall was just well at, at that time we were talking about how yeah it's just a bunch of weapons on a wall unguarded really <laughs> and just like anybody can come by and pick one up and buy one. Well, it reminded me of like a guitar center where like you could just like <laughs> play with all the instruments, but it's guns and nunchucks and you know swords. It, yeah, so th- there seems to be the sense of like yeah none none of those weapons look particularly unusual. Like they there were all things that you could find today in a I don't know very unregulated market, but. Uh, nothing lasery, right? Yeah, nothing. Nothing that s- seemed like it needed a power source of some kind, right? I think the I most futury thing they had was chaff that reversed polarity of missiles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was that was uh, that was something. I wonder, like, so I mean, okay, so just because it happened on screen now, it does have to exist in our game. I think those are the rules of that we're trying to establish here, right? So that. Uh, if if it existed on screen, so we need to now invent some sort of object in game that lets you counter a missile and reverse it, right? Like that just has to exist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, apparently, it's built into the. Well, it could be built into the chaff, or it doesn't have to be. That wasn't that mm-hmm. wasn't e- e- explicitly clear. Um, but there are countermeasures. Um, there mm-hmm. were, there are, we have established three different types of um, eh, you can call them attachments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been I've been keeping track this whole time of everything that a ship carries with it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, this episode has um, pretty much all of the zip craft have have nose mounted cannons, um, mm-hmm. and it's been pretty generic um, nose mounted right. conventional yeah. weapons, um, like machine gun, like like slugs, like yeah, metal, the, right? Bullets. The standard yeah. like front of a plane, sort of you know machine gun sort of thing. 
Star Stargate had a cool name for it. I can't remember now. It's like kinetic weaponry or something. Like the yeah. idea that you're just yeah. throwing like pieces of metal at something was unusual <laughs> in yeah. that show. Kine- kinetic slug throwers. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so we have we have we have the the shooty bits, and that's pretty mm-hmm. much the only shooty bit we've seen. But uh, we've seen a now a small craft, and we've seen a large craft, and mm-hmm. the large craft that Gordon Rich guy had had uh, you know there wasn't really a nose to mm-hmm. maneuver an angle but he had a uh you call it a gatling gun but the uh i forget yep. the name for it but there that the, 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 there is a real world equivalent to that system and uh, mm. that that shape of system and generally what that looks like uh it's usually on uh, destroyer type naval vessels and its okay. purpose is not to shoot at things. It's it's not to shoot at <laughs> enemy combatants. It's actually to shoot at missiles. Those uh, those kind of high high velocity rapid fire weapons are mm. usually have an intense amount of targeting, and they're specifically for anti missile defense. Okay. So when the missile was reverse polarity back to the ship, that that's what that's what that gun's job was to hit. <laughs> Mm. It didn't do so a very it, good it, like, job. It blows them up like before it gets to the ship, basically, or like yep. disables them farther away. It's like a, it's like a bullet shield, right, for against missiles. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up because it is, yeah. it is topical. Uh, the other one that I noted, yeah, is that that there are missiles, right? I think that is kind of like a separate category of weaponry that the ships have. Um, Spike's ship does not, right? Like, we've never seen him fire any missiles. Everything he shoots was, at least so far, I, I know there's another weapon on the ship, but at least so far, all he's fired are bullets. And then, actually, has he even fired bullets? I can't remember now. I don't think in the first episode he does. And then in the second, he tries to crush Hakim's ship. Yeah, I don't so believe I'm, I'm, that he does in, when it comes down to it. I, honestly, Spike does very little shooting altogether. Uh, no, he he prefers offensive flying, I suppose. What what's the other one? Uh, so so yeah, I, I think he has a, I think he has a machine gun of some kind. Uh, for sure, Faye's ship has both. Right, she shoots she shoots her machine gun, and she does like hers is a little craft with that fires tons of missiles at some point. Right, it it had to fire the missiles to get out of the casino. That's right. It blasted the windows through, right? And then it has the it has the flare. Like it, uh, mm-hmm. hers had a hers was a souped up, you know, zip plane, whatever. Right. It's called. Uh, did you guys catch that this uh, at some point? So when when the guys have Faye locked up in the bathroom, which is funny, uh, <laughs> locked them in a bathroom, uh, they mention how her ship could fetch at least four hundred thousand wulongs. So that gives us a nice little. A little price point, uh, four hundred thousand wulongs is worth a you know a military militarized spaceship, right? Four hundred thousand, like if so, like that, that. So that more suggests that it's worth more than a dollar, right? Because I think you know four hundred thousand dollars could buy you a kind of medium luxury car, right? <laughs> or like a, I guess that's a top end luxury car, but not like. You know, not your million dollar cars, but it's a, it's a very expensive car you're buying. If you were trying to buy military hardware today, I think that would cost you a whole lot more than $400,000. Especially with our uh, contract system and bid system. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that might be why. <laughs> Shout out to the military industrial complex. <laughs> hey, they're they're job creators. Uh, <laughs> there was some there was some pretty sophisticated stuff in Faye Zipcraft. I, I I think we mm. got I think we might have seen some of it in the first episode with Spike, but 
there was that whole sequence where Faye commanded through her bracelet mm-hmm. her Zipcraft to come pick her up. And apparently a little GPS ping was all that chip needed to blast through glass windows, navigate through a dense casino filled with people and walkways and bridges and mm-hmm. and get there. That's uh, got that unmanned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Self-driving, self-shooting, which is scarier, I suppose. <laughs> he didn't shoot at people. <laughs> yeah, I, this is the first time we've seen a remote piloting of a ship. Um, I don't know that we ever see it again, honestly. I, it, it makes perfect sense, though, right? If you're... So, okay, so as a character, Faye Valentine at this point is is a solo, right? I think that that's the cyberpunk le- word for a person that just goes on and runs their own adventures, right? Uh, Faye, Va- Faye is a soloing this universe, right? Is, is a solo player that's joining this game. And it makes sense that she would have, you know, a robot sidekick of some kind to pilot her ship to bring her to do administrative tasks even, right? Like maybe the ship is fueling itself somewhere later so she doesn't have to, right? Yeah, and it makes sense that she could use the ship for backup. I guess it's kind of like a, almost like a familiar spell, right? Almost like a, or like a, a pet, right? That you can command somewhere and put someplace and then defend this area. Yeah, it wasn't clear where it came from. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think we saw it because like Spike and Jets, Zipcraft, I guess is the name for them. They come out of the the Bebop. They come out of the ship mm-hmm. that has some. I don't think I don't know. I think we've seen it, but it has some holding space for. Uh, we we saw it, we saw it this episode. Um, <laughs> we saw it when briefly. Faye broke yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. uh, Faye, Faye shoots her way out of the hangar. Oh, that's I, I, we've, right. We've seen it before too. We've seen Spike get pulling out of the hangar. They're they're wonderful shots, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we've never seen the inside of the hangar. I have yeah. no idea. Like the, the ships don't seem like they would fit inside the Bebop. <laughs> right? that, that, that's a thing that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> it's fine. It's it's a TARDIS. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe we can find some like three D model of the ship somewhere and be like, "Oh, okay, this makes sense." <laughs> yeah, one of the. Uh, well, I, I was going to note that the. Do you guys know the name of the casino, by chance? It it was um, a weird. It had a weird name, correct? It was like the the spiders are us or something. I think it's a it's, reference. It's the spiders something. spiders from Mars. So it's Bowie reference. Yeah, but it but in the show it's actually spelled. Incorrectly. It's, it's like, spelled wrong in the in the actual tag, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah that's spaders from it. Mars. Yeah. Spaders from Mars. Was yeah. it on the chip? Uh, the chip has the initials on it. Hmm. I'm looking at the wiki right now. That's why I know. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, SFM is written on the poker chip. Uh, the other one that the, the what I actually looked up was uh, Faye's ship's name because I remember there was some confusion in my head about the name. Uh, her ship's name is called the Red Tail, even though it is blue. Yeah, Spike's ship is red. His zipcraft is red, right? Yep. Yeah, and it, it's called the Swordfish 2, which, mm, love naming something a 2. That uh, That's just good naming. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part about the Spiders from Mars was the uh, giant roulette board. Yeah. Oh, the station yeah. is a giant roulette board, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's there's a, a ball spinning around the whole thing all day, basically. W- was the ball... I didn't catch it. Was the ball a holographic ball, or was it the elevator going around? <laughs> so so there was an elevator. I remember that, going around yeah. the curve, right? But is that the ball? Is that the game that they played? Like, where is it going to stop? <laughs> Can so. people just game this? <laughs> Well, if we're talking about a, a, a crew of mm-hmm. 
player characters. Yep. Conceivably, there are. I mean, again, it depends how how crunchy you want to get with the with the ship types and what 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 you can buy with with money from a, from a game standpoint. Mm-hmm. But one kind of question is, would it be unfun if not everyone flew a ship or had a ship to fly? Ooh. And so far, all the character, all the crew except Ein. <laughs> <laughs> have have ships. Um, this is my official petition to get Ein a ship now, though. Maybe Ein like... pilots the Bebop. That's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the furriest uh, pilot in the galaxy. Jet's ship, by the way, he has a ship, but it's not a combat ship. It's like yeah, a tug. It's, it's like a tug. Yeah, the, the hammerhead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing, I think this episode is the first time they mentioned the Bebop is a fishing ship, which. I don't know what that means in the context of space, right? Is it like so? So it kind of works. Like they land in water in the last episode. They did, yeah. Uh, it has a deck. It clearly has like a like a like a regular regular boat on the water. It has a deck, right? You could sit out there and fish from it. Like it, it's a boat. But I mean, do they mean that literally? Do they mean like, oh, this is a fishing ship that goes into space sometimes? They've never no. ate. Eight fish on the ship. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of I can't think of fish on the ship at all. <laughs> no, no, it, they meant a pH fishing. <laughs> it does have internet access, so that that does make sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, so okay, so we we're, we're talking about we're talking about a little bit about price of ships, a little bit about combat. Mm-hmm. How do we? I think I think we if we're talking about flight, I think we can maybe dissect the scene uh, mm. the the standoff scene that we have sure. when spike goes to gordon rich guy's ship because <laughs> that whole sequence has each element of these flight mechanics that we're mm-hmm. proposing the episode presents for for something like going from one ship you know there's the idea from one ship to the other there, there's the idea and I think a lot of role-playing systems that if there isn't actually a chance of failure that you don't need to roll anything right um, yep. despite it being dangerous or pretty risk, dangerous or hard or yeah <laughs> and like you know you, you kind of have to ask as a as players and as a game master is it, 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 it is taking that transit relevant to the game right, uh, right. so I guess it depends on like so in this case so the, the the conflict there is that if you make it automatic well why not just skip it right that, that it's like cool flavor but if the player has no input to do this cool thing oh so so okay so have you guys I don't know if this is this might be something I would do as a as a GM right uh I would make the player roll anyway and still make it work, right? Or or this might be a moment where you pretend to roll something and you're still going to let it happen, but you're going to make it look like they did something, right? I mean, I've done that as a, you know, as a DM before where I need them to do something, but mm-hmm. I also don't want them to succeed too easily. So, I yeah, I, you know, I'll I'll make them roll for it and no matter what they roll, I'll I'll fudge the situation still mm-hmm. into their favor. But maybe not quite so favorably. You know, maybe, maybe you know, in this case, Spike does hit the uh, the ship on target. But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he loses something. Maybe his gun flies out of his holster <laughs> or something. 
Uh, yeah, even, he, even things like uh, something I was thinking of was like maybe he like stumbles when he lands. Yeah. Like so that's the thing. Like yeah, like almost there there is no chance of him totally failing. Right, he's going to make it to the other ship. Uh, generally, you're not going to kill Spike <laughs> at this moment, right? Even generally, though, again, sending your player character into the abyss Ooh. of space is considered a no-no. Yes, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think another thing you can tie in too, and we talk a little bit about about this last season, you know, with with Chase and things things happening. Mm. You know, there's different people doing different things in different locations. So it takes quite a lot of maybe it's automated a little bit, but it takes quite a bit of skill to get, I imagine, two ships to be going the exact same velocity <laughs> next to one another um, and not crashing into each other and being close enough and matching the speed and so on. Uh, and maybe part of that transition is how well the mm. pilot performed and whether there was any malicious, malicious intent from the other side. Mm hmm. It's, I, like it's in, a in this case, game of chicken uh, almost. In this case, yeah, like Gordon's the one that kind of crashes into them, right? Like he just shows up, and I can't remember if they actually hit each other, like or or there was. I remember a moment from Jet where he's like, "What the heck is like? Who's this guy now?" <laughs> right? Like he just showed up in space next to them. I will also note that you know, as somebody with hundreds of hours in Kerbal Space Program, it is very, very difficult to get two ships to line up in orbit next to each other. <laughs> I wanted to say too, like, yeah, if we're talking about, yeah, last week we talked about what is the rest of the crew doing? What are the sequences? You know, again, this this could be a chase sequence, right? It's, it's again uh, with a, uh, or a hunt sequence, how we're calling it, right? Uh, in this case, yeah, one one phase of the hunt is somebody lining up the ship, right? And then we that adds to some... Yeah, so I guess, yeah, like it could add or subtract from a difficulty of the next phase, right? We're further away or we're... Our orbit is, is kind of wobbly, right? So now when Spike has to make that jump, you know, we, we've added a complication to it, right? By doing poorly in the last phase. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Uh, and yeah, we haven't talked about the... Our, our our structure of this episode too much mm -hmm. quite yet and i think cer certainly we have seen uh, hunts in multiple phases mm -hmm. um, whereas kind of the first part of this episode or the first hunt phase of this episode was something they weren't even looking for it was the mm -hmm. it was the chip yeah and it that was that, that i think that would be a little bit difficult to to a little bit unusual to run uh, unless it was uh, as players just kind of presented to you as hey, you have this chip right. now um, and suddenly you have people coming after you and you don't know why right i guess uh you could do it as the you know the old trope of the pickpocket right mm -hmm. just just you know your your crew arrives at the casino and oh i mean i, I imagine starting this session right like i don't how, how would you even get your players to a casino without a mission it's just like hey you got some i guess it's 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 the festival right? yeah it, it's the oh yeah we, we've got a you got some downtime come on out to the festival come on come on out to the casino i've got all these games set up and while they're playing these games you know they run into somebody that just bumps into them and walks away right without realizing oh they swapped something in your pocket for you mm -hmm. right and it's now now the casino is hunting you know Gordon Richmond is hunting you down. <laughs> yeah, it is a it is kind of a reverse hunt in this one after a fashion. <laughs> and um, maybe not even a reverse hunt. It may just be that these are the the player characters are not actually the ones chasing. They're being chased. So like, but they are also kind of also chasing. So it if they're not they're not quite 
at the either end of the hunt. They're in the, smack dab in the middle. Yeah. Is this the first episode then where they're actually participating in it? <laughs> right. I, I guess the first episode they still they are active participants in the hunt. Uh, in the second one, I, I, we talked about again how they kind of felt like like oh you're just in the middle of something else going on you're, you're having an effect but it really wasn't you that made these moves right you, you just stumbled into this the the uh, hunt started with the mark already on the ship yeah yeah and in custody they, when the bounty was announced right they already had fate in handcuffs in the toilet <laughs> So now, now, we, now we've got this other phase of the hunt where we're going to the ship, and we mm-hmm. we've had some complications on the approach, and uh, the the way the way the way things will go, and let's say things are successful, and we made it to the ship, and there's a bit of a standoff, mm-hmm. and there's a you know there's a lot behind the scenes. Oh, can we trust this guy? Or are you gonna trust mm-hmm. each other? And Spike was not committing one way or the other, and he figured. He was going to time the time the countdown, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and make a leap. So, you know, something like that, where he's now he 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 he, he leaps from the ground floor way up to uh, mm-hmm. and grabs onto something and gets that timing right. Again, he could have gotten that timing wrong. <laughs> and then what? Um, so I don't think that's a guaranteed chance of success either. Um, pulling right. a gambit like that. Yeah, like the – I'm trying to think in a – again, a Dungeons & Dragons encounter. Like this is some sort of acrobatics check to jump to a platform that's higher up, right? Mm-hmm. Or trying to gain some sort of tactical advantage over somebody. Uh, I guess you'd get some sort of surprise advantage, right? Because he clearly – the other guy clearly didn't see this coming. Oh, something Something I want to know about this exact moment. Uh, Gordon you know, radios to the, his, his goon. On, on the deck, say, okay, confirm that we have the chip, then shoot them, right? I, I assume he was talking to his goon on the ground, and uh, the guy, once once Spike hit set zero and just slowly floated the chip over to him, he pulls out the gun immediately, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't confirm he has the chip. He has no idea he has the chip. <laughs> but he started shooting already. He could have shot the chip. Right. <laughs> also, do his bullets just fly out into space forever also? Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or eventually they'll spin around a, a sun somewhere a couple for a long time and eventually go into it. Or some hapless ship will be driving by and Right. We just got shot by something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, apparently spaceships very sturdy. Very uh, they can handle a few, <laughs> a few stray good bullets, you know. Uh-oh. Is that a micro meteorite? <laughs> <laughs> as long as yeah. it's micro. Uh, yeah, so so Spike makes that jump up to that pylon right I, I assume like a gravity generator thing right sure. spinning around the ship yeah and uh he, he he makes it up there and then like what he makes a full rotation or no he comes down right he jumps down and attacks right that's his kind of sneak attack yeah he is covering a lot of open space getting shot at yeah there's, there's a cool scene right or the, so again with flight right there's a cool shot of from his face right looking at him kind of like shifting sideways up down translating right uh, horizontally, vertically, as he comes in for the attack, kind of avoiding the guy's gunfire. And I, I, one one thing I'll note is that, one, that means his suit has jets of some kind, 
right? He has some method of controlling. We don't see him like manipulating anything. It's just somehow his suit knows to move left, right, up, down as he's moving closer. And it also means that uh, they have some sort of gas somewhere in that. Like his the spacesuits are very form fitting. Uh, and there is definitely not enough space for. Have you ever seen the the NASA like huge backpack jet pack that they have to use around, to move around? Yeah, uh, lot, that thing is life support mostly. <laughs> yeah, so, it, so there's it's mostly tons of fuel, right? Just cause, and, and like electronics, just because that's that's what they had to carry in order to make sure they have time uh, to move. And like you know, Spike's suit clearly does not have that. <laughs> it. it or it does, but it's not visible in some way. So some sort of space technology is making it look cool, but also have enough gas to move around. That could be the rescue mechanic, actually. Uh, if if Spike misses the jump, right, now he has to burn fuel to come back. Yeah, and if you burn it all chasing your quarry, you don't have any reserve fuel left to get back. Right, So that's yeah. the balance. And, of course, the... The, the trick with space is if you get launched somewhere, you have to spend an equal amount of fuel <laughs> coming to a stop. Yes. And then you turn around. <laughs> I, know, I know, Lijo, you, you've asked us the question a couple times of how crunchy should we be, right? How much, how much should we get into the nitty-gritty details of should we account for that fuel? Should we account for uh, Newtonian physics, right? Are, are these things things we should worry about as both game masters or players? And unfortunately, you know, we keep coming to the conclusion that, yeah, it kind of depends. Like, some people love that. Some people, all actions need consequences. And sometimes if you mm-hmm. make a silly decision, sometimes you need grave consequences. However, if I want to do some cool shit with my friends... Uh, sometimes I need you to get off my back that I don't have enough fuel to do all of this, <laughs> you know? So it's tough, and I understand both camps quite quite clearly. I'm always of the opinion that uh, to, be a, to be rules light. I like some rules, I like some guidelines, mm-hmm. but uh, if you're going to start really restricting my movement that much, I, I stop having fun, or at least... I will play so by the book that it starts to get wrote. Mm. But that's just me. I mean, again, everybody is different. What if it's uh, a... What if... uh, I think there's a gradient of crunchiness that we can go here. Mm. Um, One version is... And to to be fair to your point, Leisure, they never talk about fuel at all mm-hmm. so we don't have to talk about fuel at all <laughs> very true yeah not, not not even once yeah uh mm-hmm. last episode they talked about a broken part uh, jet walks by says it's busted and that's it that's the only explanation we have of something <laughs> breaking on the ship <laughs> so yeah like we could come up with some things like oh you only have a fuel tank that has five maneuverability points uh, mm-hmm. you spend one maneuverability point to get up to the top and don't spend all down to your five because you'll need one to get back. Like the univ- the game, ha- uh, the the show hasn't established that as being an issue, so we don't mm. have to make it one. Um, we could make it a a challenge. Um, maybe the challenge is if you succeed in doing this, th- uh, you know, doing this maneuver, you do the thing you were trying to do. But if you fail, depending on your level of failure, maybe you start floating off somewhere that you weren't intending to go. 
one of the things I was I was going to say too was that maybe the consequence is now uh, make, make make it an action consequence, right? So yeah, you Spike has missed his jump. He's floating out into space, and now uh, whatever your other crewman, Faye wouldn't be in this case, but it could be more likely it would be Jet, right? Now Jet has to take the bebop and move it so that he can catch Spike, right? Like there are the consequences might be that your teammates now have to do something to help. Right. Yeah, I could be I, you know, in Dungeons and Dragons also. Right. Like I should be attacking the big bad with my crossbow. But because you're you've been downed because you failed a save, I have to run to you and stabilize you instead. Right. That, that might be the consequence. Yeah, absolutely. No. It, and that, again, it comes to that whole question Michael uh, brought up earlier. Like if we don't give everybody a ship, <laughs> are you sure they're having fun? And the answer is if you give people stuff to do, even without a ship, then generally they'll have fun. If you ignore them for two hours, they're not going to be a happy camper. So so a little bit outside of the scope, probably, of flight, but uh, again, circling into encounter building, right? Might be... So as a... Uh, game master for for the bebop game it may be all about so so instead of in dungeons and dragons and correct me if i'm wrong because again i've never uh, run a game of dungeons and dragons uh, when you're planning an encounter when you're planning a battle you take into account your player makeup right i've got a healer i've got a rogue i've got a fighter i've got a tank right knowing knowing these things you say okay Yes, I'm going to have one big bad that's going to occupy my tank and be the damage sponge for the wizards. But then I'm going to have like a lot of things flying around so that the people with range have distractions or things to attack. Uh, you, you know, you're you're designing, and you know, I'm going to juice their health a bit just because my healer is going to keep keeping keep people standing the whole time. So it needs to go a little longer. Uh, your encounter building in the bebop game may be similarly spaced out, right? If somebody, if you have Three people with ships, you might need things that say, okay, like, oh, they all have ships. We can do tons of space flying. We can do tons of, somebody can pick them up if, if things go wrong, right? Uh, if you've only got one person with a ship and everybody else is still on board doing other stuff, you got your hackers or your, uh, we, we'll have to figure out what these things are too because I have no idea yet. Other pieces of the game uh, other classes, right? I don't think we're we're not really leaning towards a class system. I, I don't think uh, so far. But the equivalent of classes in this game, you'd want to make sure to in- design your encounters to give some everybody something to do, and that might be incredibly challenging when uh, those things are not as simple as oh, well. And again, I don't think Dungeons and Dragons is particularly simple, but. You know, your, your levers are increase health, increase enemies, right? Uh, give them this ability, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, in a perfect world, your encounters are perfectly balanced. You have, you know, when you have a party of, you know, not of a mixed party of fighters and magic casters and, you know, uh, you know the bard who's mostly there just to seduce things, you know, I, I joke, but the... <laughs> Basically, you need to kind of create a c- encounter where everybody can feel valuable and feel cool. Basically, 
We roleplay because, you know, it's it's fun to be characters that we are not sometimes, you know? And when it comes to that, basically, you you have to kind of uh, figure out what your, your players like to do. And that's, unfortunately, as you said, incredibly challenging. In this case... You could have, you know, somebody driving the Bebop, and somebody could be, again, as you said, a hacker, or in this case, most likely, I imagine most ships would have some sort of weapons. You know, maybe not the Bebop itself, but, you know, somebody could be working the weapons, or somebody could be doing repairs as the mm. ship, you know, takes damage. There are plenty of things to do. It's just, uh, can you make it fun mm. is the big thing. And, uh, you know, that, that is a difficult challenge. There, there is a there is a board game called Space Cadets, I believe, that Ooh. does more or less what you're describing. <laughs> Everyone's doing something different. Um, mi- mi- mixed results on that one. I mean, it depends on the impl- <laughs> it depends on the implementation um, pretty mm-hmm. heavily, um, and, and and it is a, it is a challenging problem because you know what are the you know, you mentioned, you know, shields or weapons specialist. You, know, you can say comm specialist, pilot, you know, things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and even Jet, I, I think Jet is the pilot of the big ship. I think so. I, we yeah. never, I don't think we see him do it. But um, he's also, especially in this episode, he is an, an, an accomplished technological expert. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, he did some and negotiator some pretty wacky right? stuff yeah like like his whole thing and, and gambler oh jet in this episode's awesome right mm-hmm. just just he's again he's not in it a whole ton right like he's never your focus he's he's your dad in the background chaperoning right but like he does a lot of fun weird stuff in the i, I love uh, the shot in my head that i see him uh carrying like three boxes of chips and like waddling away as he's running running to try to escape right (laughs) yes but but it is it is a challenging issue especially in all i think a lot of role-playing games i mean we've been mentioning DD a lot DD suffers from this too when Mm. you you have characters that are really good at a certain type of thing um and when it's not that type of thing they can't do that much Mm. um or it's a lot more strongly up to the motivation or skill or mm-hmm. uh, of, of the of the player itself and 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 the group's willingness to allow you know certain mechanics that, uh, c- certain dynamics mm-hmm. that go down and so the, the, there is a pitfall here is if if we if, if we enter into the situ scenario where it is possible for someone to to have this have this flight co- encounter with you know with a big ship a uh, a mm-hmm. uh, small zip craft, uh, two people flying in the air, shooting at each other. In, in order for everyone to have some enjoyment, all of that action that's happening needs to be somehow equitable with mm-hmm. the people not involved in that. Uh, you know, otherwise, while this like d- combat in D and D takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yep. So if you get into a situation where all right, it's combat. Go take a walk for an hour. Like, you know, what's the that's not, what's the that's not fun, right? Yeah. 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 Nope. I'm wondering if you do a. Hmm. So we talked about last week a little bit. So you know, we're, we're we're focusing on flight here, and the idea of, yeah, you know, and I think our implementation of flight will kind of depend on how crunchy we want to be, on how mechanically detailed we want flight to be. There are a lot of options here, and. 
one of the things that might make sense is also having it, it, it may make sense that it's genericized in or genericized is not the word but like turned into the same kind of system as the chase encounters from before right again this idea of filling up a meter or this idea of how do we you know what what cool maneuvers are you able to pull that counter oh hmm this, so this is just off the top of my head random thought in so i played one game of the star wars x-wing miniatures game All right so this is a tabletop game where you put out your little ships x-wings and tie fighters and uh, you put down like physical cardboard pieces that map out where your ship moves on a table right and that's the fun of it right like it, it's very very crunchy very specific it depends on how your table is actually laid out. Like, you have to move actual distance in order to do things. And, you know, super fun, super detailed. Uh, we could do something like that. But you could also do something where it's like, well, maybe this move is rock. And this other person makes a move that is paper. And this other person makes a move that is scissors. Right? So without, like, a table, without actually moving things around on a board you may be running like, a, oh, I, I play this. I play shoot at him. Right? It's kind of turning this into like a card game almost. Like I play the shoot <laughs> right. card. And it's like, oh, but I played the block card. It's like, oh, okay. So those, that move cancels out and maybe we describe what happened, right, when that happened. Uh, I play the dodge card. And they also played the dodge card. So we both jumped out of the way of something that isn't happening, right? <laughs> maybe that's how flight works here. Maybe that's how... So we give you a set of moves, right? Maybe your ship has, you know, I'm wearing this spacesuit that has this many dodges or this many attacks of some kind, right? I'm equipping a gun that has attacks, right? Or double attack or some sort of, not necessarily currency, but like an action, right? By, by equipping this thing, I get this action, which I can choose to play. And then it counters or amplifies or blocks other actions, Right. Yeah, no, I mean, there's there are a couple ways to, you know, go around that, where, so, I don't imagine either of you are listening to the Adventure Zone right now. I'm not. No. They're currently doing a, a campaign called Ether Sea, which is in the, which is, takes place underwater, basically, an underwater society and such. So as such, uh, they have a lot of underwater ship-to-ship encounters and confrontations. The DM, Griffin McElroy, he he kind of made an entire system based on, like, movement of the ship and the positioning of the ship. Like, so, if you have broadside cannons on your ship, you have to be positioned in a way that your, bro- your cannons are actually facing your opponent. Or, right. if you have a depth charge, you need to load said, you only may only have one depth charge. Or, if you have torpedoes, you may need to spend a round loading the torpe- the torpedoes per se mm-hmm. you know so there's a charging action uh and they he has a whole readiness component it, it's very similar to what i would imagine space combat would be like but mm-hmm. that being said you know obviously there are some key differences mostly that you know there are three dimensions in space <laughs> well that too but same thing with ships underwater right mm-hmm. uh so based on what you've heard from their campaign mm-hmm. like is this so? Do, do the players have like a difficult time playing with the crunch of that, or is that fun for them? I think they. I think they have fun. Um, they're the thing is that combat is 
very different. Rather than uh, rather than I shoot them, then they shoot me. You a lot of their character uh, traits are not useful because what they need is mm. oh I you know one of the characters is a monk and you know they can't uh, they can't punch their way because there's mm-hmm. uh, there's literally water. The, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so either they have to man the weapons or they have to do the repairs. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, you know, the captain is a bard, but they're not using bard magic. They're mostly just piloting and maneuvering the ship, you know. It's different. Mm-hmm. And I, I enjoy it a lot. But again, that's, it may not be for everybody. Right. That That's that's an interesting difference. I guess, I guess so. It's kind of like, it almost sounds like that is a uh, a specific, like, like, you know, submarine module for the game, right? Where... This is how, like you know, it, it is auxiliary to your normal class rules, right? Like you have these other sets of skills, which may relate to your other normal skills, but they're they're still, yeah. You know, your your submarine piloting skill is not going to be useful when you're fighting a dragon, right? Unless you're Absolutely. fighting a dragon in submarine. I mean, that, that's possible too. Fighting a uh, submarine dragon, got it? Yeah, yeah. It's an underwater dragon. It's fine. They exist. The yeah, I, I guess one of the interesting things here, I, I had this thought earlier too, where uh, perhaps we arrange the game in kind of modules, right? Uh, space combat, and we, we've seen this a little bit already, where you know space combat may be so different than ground combat and so different from negotiating and so different from heists that it might be a separate module where there is a simplified version where, hey, you can... Uh, simulate and describe uh, space combat. And there might be like the advanced version where you can say, hey, if you really want to take into account movement and and fuel and some sort of action economy of like, oh, you, you know, you're literally in this position in space <laughs> as, you're, as you're fighting, right? Like maybe that's some advanced uh, rule set. That, that's separate. Absolutely. Again, everything he said, everything I just mentioned is kind of a, a, a homebrew, if you would. Mm-hmm. Um, so none of that is part of the D&D rules proper. But it is an interesting thing to look at when you're considering the importance of ship-to-ship you know, uh, interaction. Oh, I was thinking the simplified version. I, I feel like we're, we're starting to come up with a, a simplified version of uh, encounters for... Mm-hmm. Um, for everything i mean i i think last week we talked about the chase and filling up gauges mm-hmm. and that going up and down like you could handle this a very similar way right yeah like the yeah designing yeah i guess so like figuring out how to make those gauges fit many different kinds of encounters i think might be the cool core mechanic of this game right that might be the uh, the uh, the base which we build around right might just be that encounter system, and then we add flavors on top of it right like like your our our base model is this this handles all sorts of things that we won't further describe, but when we do have things that we do want to describe specifically and again like space combat is one, or gunplay might be a separate encounter kind of thing too right when we have. Or sword play that comes into play later on in the series, right? Like that; those are different. How do you fight guns with swords? That never makes sense in anything. <laughs> yeah, and this this enables players uh, group, groups uh, play, play groups to go. I really like 
these crunchy space mechanics, but I, I hate the guns and the swords and stuff. And just mm. let's just use the basic one for that. You give a little bit of power to the to the play group to choose mm-hmm. which crunch they care about or think is interesting, and there's a fallback version right. to use that's faster. If, yeah. if we don't like this, or this just turns out to be yeah, like or it just takes too long, we can always fall back to the the faster one. Yeah. That's interesting. And that way, we're not making like hard version and easy version for every mm-hmm. mechanic. There's hard version, crunchy version, <laughs> and core version for each mechanic. There's like you know, uh, there's this one, or you can use this special version. Right. Yeah. And we can sell those as separate books. Now, I, I don't know. We, we have no business model that we're worried about <laughs> at this point. <laughs> it's hidden behind an advertisement. Right. <laughs> if we had sponsors, I would run an ad right now, but we don't. So it's great. We're about at wrap-up time. Uh, you guys have any last comments? Anything about this episode that you we didn't cover yet? I uh, I remember the name of the gun I was thinking of. Ooh, what it, was it? It it is called it is called a phalanx sea whiz. A phalanx sea whiz. It's an acronym, but it's okay. enunciated. It is okay. a clo- close in weapon system. Close in weapon system. Okay, I'm gonna look that up right after this. <laughs> Lee Joe? and. I'm not going to say that this is an important aspect, but the idea that the the screens and the time of Cowboy Bebop are still like CRT screens because it, the the reception was so fuzzy, she confused <laughs> Spike with the point. weirdo. Uh, <laughs> it just gets me. Like it's not, it's not. Well, I mean, it is actually an important point. That's why this whole episode happens. But like, regardless. That's just silly. I mean, we, we have, uh, I think we, well, you'd think she'd at least get, like, a photo or something, right? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> we, we could have solved this problem with a piece of paper, right? Like, it, it just didn't have to, we could have just told her his name. <laughs> I mean, I guess the equivalent would be, like, it, it, you know, she got a picture on her phone, but it's so cracked she can't really make it out the <laughs> picture. Like, that's that's the closest thing to what I got there, you know? Ooh, that that uh, remind me to bring this up at some point in the future. Technology, right? Just in general, uh, clearly Cowboy Bebop takes place in the 1990s plus 70 years. Are we going to have to? I mean, are, is our game going to be that same thing, or are we going to take like, oh yeah, we have cell phones, we have the internet, we have things that didn't exist in 1998 that we can use? <laughs> it depends who's playing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what do you mean we don't have cell phones? <laughs> It just not not that it mattered, but I think it doesn't Cyberpunk's tabletop RPG kind of circumvent that? Like, they have their own technology? I'm not 100% sure. That sounds right. I know I, my familiarity is more with, like, the Firefly series, where mm-hmm. or not Firefly, uh, Fallout, where the Fallout game said, hey, time had diverged, technology had diverged sometime after 1945. So all of our tech is some other version of things you've known, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, Cyberpunk might just say, "Oh, we're just so far in the future that you know, 2019." I think one of the one of the games is in uh, that. <laughs> you know, it's just unrecognizable. We have no idea what this technology is going to look like. Shiny and Chrome, that's Shiny the future. Shiny and Chrome, yeah, that, that's what uh, we'll have that's to do. the next one. After this, it's a Mad Max uh, RPG. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned for our next podcast, the Mad Max uh, RPG that we're building. <laughs> Fury Road Tabletop. 
All right, with that, I'm going to say goodbye. Uh, thank you guys for being here. We'll see you listeners next week. See you next week. Goodbye. See you, Space Cowboy. Oh, gosh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you've got questions, suggestions, or if you're starting your own Bebop Tabletop session, you can reach us on Twitter, at Bebop Tabletop. 